We are in the book of Acts. We finished up looking at the disciples. We're carrying it in all the way up to the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. So we've talked so far about, in Acts chapter 1, about the Holy Spirit coming. We talked about how that uh, changed really the dynamic of, of the, the whole thing with the, the church. Jesus Christ had left uh, after the resurrection. He was around for about 40 days. There's 10 days then in there, and then we have Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes. We talked last week about, about Peter's sermon and how Peter preached, and then uh, there were 3,000 people that came to Christ and were baptized and added to the church. This morning, we're going to talk about what that early church looked like, which gives us some insight for us to step back and go, okay, how are we doing compared to the church 2,000 years ago? What do we need to change, or what do we need to embrace, or what do we need to be careful of? So that's kind of where we're headed this morning. So we're in the last part of Acts chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'm going to talk about it. So a little different than we do sometimes. Uh, But Acts chapter 2, here's what it says. And they continued steadfastly, talking about the church and all the people that had been saved and and baptized and added to the church, those 3,000 people. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. You should know that when this church was founded, before I got here even, uh, this verse, Acts 2.42, was the foundation for this church. If there's one verse that sums up this church, or that we try to have sum up this church, it's Acts 2.42, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, um, fellowship, prayer, and breaking of bread. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But he goes on, and he says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And then it goes on, verse 44. Now, all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They sold their possessions of good. They divided among them, uh, among all, as everyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and with simplicity of heart. And then it goes on, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So, we have a whole bunch of things that happen that describe this church. It's like Luke, the writer of Acts, kind of takes this, this microscope and zooms in and says, okay, let me tell you what these people are doing and what these people are like. So, let's break it down. Let's walk through all of those characteristics that he talked about. First of all, he talks about they continued steadfastly in the, in the uh, apostles' doctrine or teaching. One of the things that was essential to the early church was the teaching of the disciples and apostles. Remember, in this time in history, we don't, all they have is an Old Testament. They don't have any of the books of the New Testament yet. It hasn't been written yet. Uh, it's going to be another 20, 30 years before uh, James, which is the first book, is actually written. So um, we, we have that scenario here where, where they don't have that. So the apostles are, are, are teaching the things that Christ taught. They're teaching um, the, what, what, how to apply those kinds of things. And it says they continued steadfastly in that. Um, the idea is, and, and, and the word teaching uh, that's actually mentioned there is, a, is an interesting word. Uh, in the Greek language, it has this idea of instruction. Uh, the thinking behind the Jewish idea is what is taught here? What is, what, what is the important thing? And they continually focused on the disciples, listening to the disciples teach them about what Jesus had taught the disciples. And so it became a, 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 a focus. It became a an important part because they wanted to know, and, and I don't, this is trivial in our culture. We've trivialized it a lot, but the idea is what would Jesus do? What would Jesus think? How would Jesus respond? What would Jesus do? 
And so that was a continual thing, and, they, and so they, they were struggling with the way they should do things. Um, and their, their source was not what they thought. It wasn't their culture. It was what did God say? What did the Bible say? And so there was a lot of discussion in that. When we talk about a church, that has to be central to it. Okay? Um, there are a lot of churches, and this, this is mind-boggling to me, but you can go to a church and not hear the Bible preached. Now, I don't get that. Because I'm like, then why would I go? I'll just go to a really cool seminar from a TED Talk speaker. Um, if that's what it's about, you know, if I just want to go be inspired or whatever else. Why? Because the Bible becomes a foundation for what we do, how we do it. And so I, the Bible has to be central to it. And so you, if you'll notice, if you ever break down our service by time, the majority of our time is spent talking about the Bible because that's important. And we believe that when you need to make a decision that you go to the Word of God and you base your decision, you base your choices on the Word of God, not on culture. So we believe that the Bible says this is wrong, this is wrong. I don't care what the culture says. Okay? It's, it's what did God say. So as culture shifts and as, as everything shifts, there's a, there's, a, there's a tether point, there's a standard by which we make decisions. So when I'm talking about how do I treat my wife, what does the Bible say? When I talk about how to raise my children, what does the Bible say? When I talk about what kind of employee should I be, what does the Bible say? When it talks about how should I run my business, what does the Bible say? When it talks about how do I handle my money, what does the Bible say? See, I always get myself in trouble. When we talk about how we should drive, what does the Bible say? You know, um, what does the Bible say? You know, when you talk about how you interact with cashiers, what does the Bible say? You know, um, okay, I feel better now. Um, you know, I had an experience on Thursday, the same day she did this. I had an experience too, but mine was much different, okay? But I didn't want her to feel bad, so I didn't tell her about mine. Um I'll save that for later when I need it, uh, you know. But that's the idea is, is, is we got to be, so, you know, so, so the Bible's important to us. And when it doesn't become important, really, we should shut the doors, okay? When it doesn't become the center, center of, uh, when Christ in the Bible doesn't become the center, then, then, then we're kidding ourselves. It's a social club then, right? Um, he talks about the idea that they, they fellowship was, a, and they continue steadfastly in the doctrine and fellowship. Fellowship was an important part. Listen, it's a unique word. He didn't use the word church. He used the word, uh, which was, was ecclesia. He used the word fellowship, the word koinea. Uh, the idea is that there's an interconnectedness with those people. There's the idea that they were, they, and you're going to see this in a minute, a little bit later, that there was a unity with them, but there was this fellowship. They knew each other. They cared about one another. Their lives were interacted with one another. That's one of the reasons this morning, uh, look, it's one of the reasons that we spend time before church fellowshipping, we spend time during church fellowshipping, we spend time after church fellowshipping, we have a potluck every month in order to fellowship, and the whole purpose is for us to get to know and interact one with another, and that is so important to being a church, is that we know each other and we're involved in each other's lives. And, and that is, so some of you, you don't do the potluck thing, okay? Can I encourage you this year, just set as a goal, I'm going to do it two or three times this year? 
And for those of you who do the potluck thing today, when you sit down, try to sit down at a table with people that you don't really know or somebody that you don't really know. We all get into our little ruts and our little routines and our comfort zone. So we're like, we always sit with the same people because we're comfortable and we, we want to just keep it. That's great, but we got, that's not going to develop koinea, fellowship within the church like he went. These people were interactive with one another. I think if you talk to anybody who's been up here working at any point of it, one of the things that you'll find is that's what we really enjoy. We really enjoy sitting around the table and telling stories and listening to stories and interacting and uh, working together and talking about stuff. Um, those are going to be some of the greatest memories. I talked to a pastor this past week who his church went through a very similar thing. He said, we're past the building thing. And he said, we really miss it because we got to know each other so well. And, and that's so, so important, not just because of a building thing, but outside of church. Find somebody in this church, take them out to eat, have them over to your house, go meet someplace, go do something together. Interact with lives. And, and can I say this to those of you who are older? There's a, there's a tendency for you to like to hang with older people because younger people intimidate you. Invite the younger people over. Find some of these young parents or some of these young couples and say, we want to have you over for dinner. We want to take you out to eat. We want to do something. Here's why. Because there's a Bible precedent for the older teaching the younger. And we're in a culture that doesn't emphasize that. And so what happens is we tend to all go close in our circles. One of the things my wife and I did intentionally, we always tried to have friends who were at the next level in life from where we were. So we didn't have kids. We tried to hang around people who had little babies. And then we had, when we had our babies, we tried to hang around people who had toddlers. And then it was kids who had elementary kids. And then when we had elementary kids, we were hanging around people that were raising high schoolers. And I had high schoolers, we were looking for people raising college kids. And then when we got to the empty nest thing, we were looking at people who were grandparents. Because we realized they had a wealth of knowledge we didn't have. And they had already made mistakes that we didn't have to make. So we would learn from them. And they were more than willing to go, hey, look, this is what we learned. And there was incredible wisdom there that we, we really need to tap. Even my kids today will tell you, you know, they've learned that when they go to make decisions that they go to older people who have some life experience because their peers don't have the life experience that they, that they need. And that becomes so important. So fellowship was a big part. Prayer uh, was another big part of it. Look, we send out a prayer list. We take time every Sunday to pray for needs. You know why? I don't understand how the whole prayer thing works. I mean, I, I understand it from the theology perspective. I could argue that all day long, but in my heart of hearts, I, I don't get it. I mean, if God, God's God, so how can he, how can I impact his decision and he, so I don't know if prayer is more for me to change my heart to the direction of God, and yet I know in the Bible, <clears throat> through prayer, God changes direction in, in some things. So I don't understand how all of it works, but I heard what I do know. I do know that Jesus, who's God, took time away to go pray. Now, in reality, think about it for a minute. Jesus had three years of ministry on this earth, primary, three primary years of ministry, and he would pull aside for a couple of hours when he could have gone and helped those people over there. But it was important enough for him to not choose not to help those people in order to spend time with the Father. If I'm a follower of Jesus, and that's what Jesus did, probably important for me to do too. 
So it's an important part of us. That's why we send out the prayer letter. That's why we let people know. It's not just like a gossip chain letter kind of thing. It's a, no, no, pray for these things. Because what I find is that as I pray for them, then when I see those people, I encourage them. I ask them how they're doing. I ask them how it's going. I'm more in tune with what their heart, where, with, their, with where their heart is with it. And then he talks about the idea of breaking bread. That's the idea of communion. And we end every service that way. We break bread. We have in common the fact that we're believers and we're in Christ and we, 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 we share in that as, as together as a group. Common, here's the idea, common union, communion. It's the idea. Is that we have that in common. And the early church did that. When they would get together, that was a big part of them as they would spend time in, with communion as, as they would do it. And then he talks about, he continues on with some other stuff that they did as well. He talks about this idea that <coughs> fear came upon him with all the signs and wonders they saw. Now, that's an interesting dynamic. Because you see, you got to remember, in the early church, they don't have the word of God. That the Holy Spirit is just coming and starting to permanently indwell. Believe. Now all of a sudden you have all of this new stuff and everybody's got a, a, a message from God and you had to know what was right and what wasn't. And so there were the signs and miracles that you see them doing that's confirming that God's at work here. Personally, I believe now that we have the Word of God and we have the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I don't believe I need anything plus that. I think, I think that's enough for me to know what God wants me to do. Um, and, and actually, even the book of Acts. By the time we get to Acts 15, we pretty much see Paul mainly about the only guy doing miracles. Um, and as he's going into remote areas and stuff like that. And again, I'm not going to pass it off and say it never happens, but... Um, in the source of confirming what God's doing. So you see that? You see that they had a unity among themselves. And some people use that passage about they were selling stuff and, and all that to say, see, the Bible teaches communism. No, it's not what it's about. Um, here, here's the idea. Um, there was a unity involved with these people that you can't, you, you can't describe any other way. And, and if you'll think about it for a minute, here, here's kind of what would happen. And, and I tried to put myself back into this culture in this time. These people had come to Pentecost for a feast, right? Male Jew, Jewish male, over 20 years of age, they had to do this three times a year. So they come in for Pentecost for the feast. They become Christians. Now, in this culture, when there was a feast time like that, and people came into town, the ends would fill up, so you would, it, it was common courtesy to invite, if you had room in your house, it's common courtesy to have somebody stay with you. That's just the way it was. So they would invite people to stay, and people would stay for Pentecost, and then they'd go their way. There's the thing. These people become Christians, and they're going, you know, I want to learn a little more. Now, what do they do? They hang around. Well, I brought enough money for Pentecost. And in some cases, when they became Christians, they lost their job. People went, you, you're going to follow the way? You're going to be one of the people of the way? We're done with you. Um, you know, in some cases, families would disown them. So what did they do? And a Christian goes, hey, look, you know what? I'm so excited you came to Christ. Why don't you just live with us for a while? Now, here's the problem. You're used to feeding four mouths. And now there's five, six, seven, maybe eight. Now what do you do? You know? Now what do you do? Literally, here's what would happen. 
as they would start to find somebody that was meeting with them and they'd find out they didn't have a place to stay, they'd say, come stay with us. As they'd find out that they didn't have food maybe that day and they hadn't eaten that day, they'd say, hey, look, why don't you come over and have dinner with us tonight? In some cases, the need became so great, they couldn't take care of them. So you know what they would do? They'd say, you know what? I got an extra cow. Let's just sell it so we can feed more people in the church. I got, I got this. Let, let, let's just go sell that so that we can go help more people and help the people that had not It wasn't like they all said, okay, everybody go sell everything, pitch it in, and then we'll call it good. No, as needs came up and they would meet needs, that's exactly what they would do one for another. And they cared for one another. They would make whatever sacrifice they had. Why? Because there was a unity among them. There was a thing that it wasn't about me, it was about us. And that became very, very important in the early church. Because I'm going to show you this at the end. The world didn't know what to do with that. Because the world couldn't explain it. Um, but they, they, they would share one with another. They were devoted. It says that they continued daily in the temple. And this is interesting. The Jewish people who had come there for Pentecost got saved, and yet every day they would go back to the temple for prayers. By the time we get to Acts 21, um, they're not welcome anymore. Even by the time we get to Acts 9, Paul, Saul, is actually going out as a Jew persecuting Christians. But in the early church, before this thing really took off, these people would go back to the Jewish temple every day. And they would have prayers and stuff, and then they would come back from the temple, which is significant. You know why? They didn't, they didn't like, cut themselves off from their, all of their previous contacts. They would go back to try to reach those previous contacts, to be involved and engaged in their life in order to be able to share Christ with them. So they would go back to the temple, and they would pray, and they would hang around their Jewish friends, and then they would go back, and they would hang around their Christian friends. And they'd get encouraged, and they'd eat, and they'd do that kind of thing. And they kept doing that as long as they were allowed to do that. And it tells us what happened. This thing started to grow. They praised God. They had favor with, uh, with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily as those good. That idea of having favor with all, with all people, it's, a, it's an interesting word. It's only used one time in the New Testament. Right here. You know what the idea is? It's the, it's the idea that they were sincere. Literally smooth stoned is the, is the word. It's, it's the idea that they weren't rough around the other people they were trying to reach. Please take this the way I say it and, and don't read too much into it, but sometimes we can be just pretty rough as Christians in the way we present Jesus to other people, in the way we live in front of them. And, Paul, and, and, and Luke here talks about the early church. He said, that's not true of them. He said, these people, he said, uh, they were sincere. There was no agenda. There was no thing. They just simply lived honestly in front of people, and people noticed it. And it says, notice what it says, the Lord added unto them daily as those who were being there. People watching this said, I want more of that. Tell me what changed in your life, because I knew you before and I know you now, and something changed. What was it? They were able to say, it wasn't what, it was who. Jesus Christ came into my life and made a difference. And, 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 and it made a difference. So that's what you see. So let's talk about some application for us. Here we go. Um, as a church. Four pillars of what we do have always been since the day this church was, was started and, and as we continue to this day, preaching. Um, the Word of God's going to be central. It's going to be central in all we do. 
um, fellowship. There's a reason it was named Holly Springs because that's where we were. Okay, kind of still represent it, but not much there. Uh, Bible, because that's central. And then, if you notice, it's not named church. There's a reason for that. It's a fellowship. It's a place of koinea. It's a place where people get together and, and interact with their lives. Fellowship is a very important part of who we are. And we don't want to ever get away from that. Prayer is a very important part of who we are. We don't ever want to get to the point that we go, you know what, sorry, we don't have enough time to prepare this on Sunday. And you know what, the prayer list, the email, I mean, you know, who wants to read another email? No, 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 no. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cornerstone, if you will. It's a pillar of, of what we are. And then communion. We have communion. Look, bottom line, it's time-consuming and it's expensive. And when I first came, I thought we shouldn't do it every week. You know why? Because I came from a church where we did it once every three months, and that was enough. And I get here, and I'm like, and, and I'll never forget the discussion I had with the board. I'm like, do we really need to do communion every week? And they said, well, why shouldn't we do it? I said, well, I said it could get monotonous. They said, well, so can your preaching. And I was like, yeah, we probably shouldn't do get away with communion. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? When I attend a church now where the service doesn't, where we don't have communion, I miss it. I miss it. The early church did it every time they got together. Because it was so central. The cross, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the blood that we shed, his body which was broken was central. And they never, ever, ever, ever wanted to forget it. And they said, every time we get together, we're going to do this because we want to remember. We don't ever want to forget. So it becomes a central part of who we are. So, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't say we need to go what, to once every three months anymore. Um, I miss it if we don't do it every week or if I'm away and I don't get to do it. It's important. Um, so I, I think that's that the basics. We don't want to get away from the basics. Second idea is this. Um, I, I'm pretty tolerant of a lot of things. Um, but there's one thing that you need to know. It will push me over the edge. And that is somebody who threatens the unity of the body of Christ. That's my hot button. You should know that. I'm not saying disagreement. People do, I mean, I go home to disagreement. I mean, I, you know, I, my wife disagrees with me all the time. I mean, we don't. You know, we don't, there's so many things we disagree on, okay? I'm, I don't have a problem with disagreement, okay? I have a problem with disunity, and they're different, okay? I have a problem with somebody that has an agenda that isn't for what's the agenda for the body as a whole. That because Through my life experiences, through my experiences here, I've learned how deadly that is to a congregation. And here's the thing. As we go into this building thing, it's easy sometimes for those little things to fester. I don't know of anything right now, so I'm, I, it's great. I'm preaching when it's healthy, so this is awesome, all right? So I'm not trying to address anything. I know a church that almost split over whether, this was before codes and stuff like that, but they almost split over whether the outlets, whether the, the grounding plug should be at the bottom or the top. I 
I, you know, whether it should be with smiley face, they, they didn't, they put, you know what they ended up doing? They put half one way and half the other way. <laughs> Drive all the OCD people nuts. Um, you know, as well, hey, you heard the stories about chairs versus pews or color of carpet or painting. You know what? You want to know what my solution to painting is? If you're going to do it, great. You know, um, I, again, you know, why? Because we want to do what's best for the whole group. And I don't have any problem with people disagreeing or that. But when we come in, when somebody comes in with their own agenda, I have a friend of mine, good friend of mine. They don't live anywhere in this area. So I'm like, you know how they decided what church to go to? If they had been there three weeks and they hadn't sang at the end of the service, just as I am, and given an invitation, they would not go to that church. Why? Because their background, that was their background. So if you, they were looking for a new church, it's like, find me a church that sings just as I am at least once every three weeks. Really? Anything really specific you want? Um, and if that person ever came to church here and started coming here, and they came in and, and they would say, Pastor, look, you got to do like just as I am, like once every three weeks for me. Well, the, you know, we, we, we don't do the invitation thing. We do the communion thing, and we use the communion thing as an invitation thing, and we don't sing it then. Yeah, if you don't do it for me, then, pfft, you know, then it's like, <laughs> Bye. Because it's not about what you want or it's not about what I want. If we could do what I wanted, this church would be a lot different. And none of you would come. <laughs> you know? I mean, you come in there be incense because I'm a smell person. I like, I like, I like uh, all senses. So I can make an argument for worship involves all your senses, including smell. And, and today we're worshiping God because there's a potluck smell. So... You know, I mean, I can make those arguments, but it's not about me. So, what kind of music I want is what kind of music we want. It's not about whether I want pews versus chairs. It's what we want, what best fits our needs. It's not about whether I want windows because you know my opinion. You know, and I'm a window guy. I'm a stained glass guy. But for modern technology, windows are like anathema under the curse of technology because they bring in light and you want to control light and sun you can't control you go well just put shades up then why do you have windows <laughs> but a lot of people were saying we want we would like windows we like to be able to look out because you're boring and it was like okay we'll, we'll put windows in for you you know it's about unity it's about us as a whole and that's what's so important and you need to understand, we'd all do it differently. We all have our little things this way or that way, but the reality of it is, this is the thing I love about this place. For, for, for the most, but 99.9% of the time, everybody here is on the same page. And you have no idea how unfortunately rare that is in churches today. Because there's usually always people that have their own little personal agendas, try to run their own little church within a church. And it may be going on here. I don't know about it. You should know when I find out about it, I'll shut it down. Because um, it's deadly to a church. But what thrills me right now is that's not what we have, and I love that. And we don't want to ever, ever lose it. Because we have had times in this ministry, and I've had times in other ministries, where that has not been the case. And it's deadly. It's deadly. The last thing is this. It can't be about us internally as a church either one of the things that you see in the early church is that the early church was a 
it was important for them to engage in people outside the church. Those of you who have been Christians for a long time, you know this as well as I do. Sometimes it's easy to get in your little Christian world. Because the reality of it is you're comfortable there. The reality of it is that you, you're surrounded by people that are like you, that think like you, that act like you, that interact like you, so it's comfortable. And the longer you become a Christian, the more this world is, is opposite of that. And so one of the things that happens for some of us, and this is what started to happen to me about 10 years ago, is I, had, I, I stopped and took a look at my life, and I realized I'm always surrounded by Christians. And I thought, but they need a light, and they need a witness, and they need a testimony. And if I'm not over there, then I'm missing out on one of the things God's called me to do. So I actually went to the board, and I said, you've got to help me here. I said, because here's the thing, if, if Gertrude's sick and I'm supposed to be at the hospital visiting Gertrude, I feel really bad being over here in a, a meeting with robotics or speech people. I said, I need just your blessing, if you will, so that I don't have to deal with this guilt of this, this, this struggle because I need to have an, a, an influence in this world because there's nobody there and I have a skill set that can fit into this world. And so what happened was the board said, yeah, that's exactly. It sounds awesome. So I started spending more time over here so that I could have that influence, so I could have that impact, so I could be that light. And I got news for you. This world is a whole lot harder to live for me than that world. But the reality of it is that's what the early church did. The early church didn't look at their Jewish people and say, we're done with you. They looked to their Jewish people and said, we're burdened for you. We're still going to interact with you. We're still going to go to, to synagogue with you. We're still going to pray with you. And then as we have opportunity, we're going to try, try to tell you what Jesus has done in our lives. And so they were willing to be able to do that. They did that for as long as they can until the church finally said, we're done with you. You know, we got to get rid of you. You're a problem for us. But they did it as long as they could. And, and, and I just want to challenge you because some of you, don't understand that God has called you to the world that he has put you in. And I can try as hard as I want to go to reach your friends and your neighbors and the people in your world, but here's the reality of it. The reality of it is no one can impact them like you can impact them. I have people in my world that you can't impact. You don't have the background. You don't have the the, the, the life experiences that I have in that world, so I can have an influence in that world, and you can't. And that's the place that God wants me to, to, to have an influence. And the same thing for your world. Those people you rub shoulders with this week, those people who are in your circle, that's your world. That's your mission field. And you're in some cases, you're the only Christian light or testimony around them. And that is so important for you to understand. And they need to see your light and your testimony. And the early church was really, really good at this. I say it as I've always said a long time. We're not, look, we're all here together. We've all meeting in here. We've got enough room for us. We don't need another building for us. We don't need a bigger worship area for us. But every, every screw, every nail that goes in out there, every wonky strap that gets put up, we'll tell you the story later. Um, it's for people 
who need Christ who have never walked in that door. It's not about having a bigger church, okay? Honestly, you know, if it was about bigger church, I'd go someplace else. Um, I really, I mean, you know, if that, if that's what I'd pursue. If it was a corporate kind of mentality, I'd go pursue something bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, 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 bigger until I got burned out and divorced and then be done, you know? I mean, really, it's not about that. But it's about God has put us here and God is using us here and we're a light in a community and God is giving us opportunity here and he's bringing people here and those people are encouragement to us and we're trying to be encouragement to them and God is at work and we want to be able to share that with as many people in this community as God will let us. I'm going to read you something and it's fairly lengthy so just bear with me. So if you can't see it, that's okay because I do little font because it's a long thing. Okay? This was actually written in the second century. So we're now about 150 years past what we're talking about right here in Acts chapter 2. And it's written by a guy who was writing, back then it was called an apology, which was a, 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 a it basically it was a, um, a statement. It was a defense about the church to the king. The king wanted to know about these people called Christians. So this guy did his investigation, and in the second century he wrote this, Okay. So it's actually it's a translation, but this is, this is what he wrote. And I want you to hear what he says because it will give you an example of what had happened 150 years after Acts chapter 2 that we just read about. Okay? And here's what he says, um, starting it. Um, it's a philosopher, Aristides. Here's what he said. Now, the Christians, O king, by going about and seeking, have found the truth. For they know and trust in God, the maker of heaven and earth, who has no fellow. From him they receive those commandments which they have engraved on their minds and which they observe in the hope and expectation of the world to come. <clears throat> For this reason, they don't commit adultery or immorality. They don't bear false witness or embezzle. Nor do they covet what is not theirs. They honor their father and mother. They do good to those who are their neighbors. Whenever they are judges, they judge uprightly. They do not worship idols made in the image of man. Whatever they do, not wish that others should do to them, they try not to do. They don't eat food sacrificed to idols. He goes on. Uh, next one, guys. Those who oppress them, they exhort, and they make them their friends. They do good to their enemies. Their wives, O king, are pure as virgins. Their daughters are modest. Their men abstain from all unlawful sexual contact, from impurity, in the hope of the recompense of the world uh, that is to come in another world. As for their bondmen and women, and, and bondwomen, that's their slaves, and their children, if there are any, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call them brethren without distinction. He goes on. They refuse to worship strange gods. They go their way in all humility and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them. They love one another. The widow's needs are not ignored. They rescue the orphan from the person who does him violence. He who has, gives to him who has not, ungrudgingly and without boasting. When the Christians find a stranger, they bring him into their homes and they rejoice over him as a true brother. They do not call brothers those who are bound by blood ties alone, but those who are brethren after the Spirit and in God. When one of their poor passes away from this world, each provides for his burial according to his ability. If they hear of any of their number who are imprisoned or oppressed for the name of the Messiah, they all provide for his needs. And if possible to redeem him, they set him free. In other words, they find that he's in prison, they'll actually go pay his bond in order to free him out. 
going on? If they find poverty in their midst and they do not have spare food, they fast two or three days in order that the needy might be supplied with their necessities. They observe scrupulously the commandments of the Messiah, living honestly and soberly as the Lord their God ordered them. Every morning and every hour, they praise and thank God for his goodness to them. For their food and drink, they offer thanksgiving. If any righteous person of their number passes away from this world, they rejoice and thank God. And they escort his body as if it were setting out from one place to another nearby. When a child is born to one of them, they praise God. If it dies in infancy, they thank God the more as for one who has passed through this world without sins. But if one of them dies in his impurity or in his sins, they grieve bitterly and sorrow over him who has about to meet his doom. That was what the early church looked like from the eyes of an unbeliever. That is what we're called to do. And when we do that, the world notices. And ultimately, it becomes attractive to a world where they say, I don't know how you can go through that and still have joy. I don't know how you can go through that and still love God. I don't know how you can go through that, but you know what? Whatever it is that you have, I want to know more about. <coughs> Whatever it is that's going on up there with those crazy people, you know what? They seem to enjoy being together. And you know what? I don't have any place that I really enjoy. I want to know more about that. See, that's what we're called to do. And when we do it like we're supposed to do it, the world will take notice. And when you and I live the way we're supposed to live, the world takes notice. So I end it this way. The early church was a force to be reckoned with. They demonstrated to a lost world how a relationship with Jesus changes people. They lived out the principles of Christ, and the world noticed. And many were drawn to want that relationship with Christ as well. That is what we are called to do this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, I thank you for bringing us to this unique group of people. Lord, I thank you for the friendships and relationships that we have built. Lord, as you know, many of them are closer than any blood relative that I have. And Lord, I thank you for what you have done here and what you are continuing to do here. And so, Lord, I just pray that if there are any here who don't know Christ, that they would really come to understand the significance and the importance of a personal relationship with you. Lord, for those of us who are believers, help us this week. Lord, sometimes we just forget that people are watching. Sometimes, Lord, we don't take seriously the opportunities that we have in front of us to uh, let people see what genuine, honest, sincere Christianity looks like. So help us this week. And Lord, when it is all said and done, Lord, may people see Christ in us and may it give them the hope of the glory that comes with knowing you. And we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory for everything. These things we ask in your name. Amen.